Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 10, Episode 25, The Voice. In this week's episode, I I circled back to all of the witness statements surrounding the mysterious fake voice coming out of Catalina's apartment. Uh, I did that at the suggestion of a listener after having some long debates on the fan page. I think that it was productive. I definitely learned a lot. I hope that you did, too. And, of course, we also heard the new information uh, that was shared with me by Messina Sullivan. So I think it was a good episode. Like I said, I learned a lot. I hope that a lot of you did too. I know we got a bunch of questions I'm joined by Zach and Mike. We're going to do a quick ad and then we'll get right into it. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So before we get into these questions, I want to bring something up. A lot of people know that we have a Patreon, and Uh, and we have a lot of discussions on Patreon before we start recording for the show. For the video, yep. And, And literally, we were just having a really good discussion, and I said, stop, let's record this. And we were discussing the idea of this episode and kind of where it came about. And you, you were kind of explaining it to me. And I think it's really good for the listeners to hear where this episode came from, from you. So, yeah. And in, in the, the first part of that conversation was Zach was asking, you know, he's been on the show since season seven. And he was saying that this is the first time that you've seen the, the backlash that we've had, you know, in season seven with Jamie Snow. And Bill Little, we didn't quite have it like this. Mm-hmm. The same thing in the Perringer case. We didn't quite get anywhere with the Perringer case because right. of Deb passing. Right. Um, so this was the first time that I've really seen a lot of the nons come out. And, and I was curious as to where that came from. Yeah. And, and so as I started to explain, there's always, there's always a group. There's a, you know, there's a group that grows every year of people that just don't like me or what I'm doing that started with the nons I had and then in the West Memphis Three. And it builds and builds. So that group's always kind of hanging out there waiting with open arms to snatch up the new people who dis- who who don't like me or disagree with me. Um but but the big thing that I've found with this season is it's one of the first times I've seen where people who who are I would say fans who are very supportive of the work that we do that disagree with me. It happens every season, of course, but there's a larger percentage of of people in that category this season. Which has caused me to check myself a lot because you you're always trying to weigh out like is you know and that's why you know I know there was just some people were just removed from the fan page um, in just the last couple of days 
you know, because people come in and they're jerks. They want to, you know, they want to call names and attack and insult. I can't do anything with that. When you come in and just tell me that I suck at my job, you're not hurting my feelings. You're just not giving me any information that I can work with um, as far as the case goes. But but when people start you know bringing facts to me and say, well, I believe this because of this. And this episode came about, uh, as I was telling Zach, that because there are people, I, I met some people in Cleveland at the fan meetup uh, in the live show we did there that are longtime supporters that really feel like Jen had something to do with this. Some people on the fan page that have been longtime supporters and people that I think are genuinely or just that's the way they're reading the evidence. And it's ca- it, it causes me to check myself, which is part of, you know, I think what I have to do to be good at my job is to say, you know, just because I think something doesn't mean it's right. And and if people are making arguments that 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 make sense that are pushing back against my theories, I need to go back and circle back and check myself. So that's where that's where this episode came from as I was I was talking to some listeners. The main one was Chris Dolan, who I had on the show uh, a couple months back, um, who's you know more of a fence sitter, I think leans towards at least was leaning towards he, he goes back and forth a lot, which is one thing I like about Chris is he's always seems to be willing to take in new information and adjust his his, his hypothesis. But we were kind of going round and round about this fake voice thing and other listeners were chiming in and I had to go back instead of like I had already settled in my mind that the voice was fake. But when they're when they were pushing back with me, I said, well, okay, you need to you need to check yourself and let's circle back. Let's take a deeper dive, as Chris had suggested, really spend some time on this and let's let's do a full analysis. So that's what led to this episode. It wasn't me coming in trying to prove a point or anything. It was. Okay, maybe I'm wrong, so let me go back and take a closer look. And for and for me, it 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 not only solidified what I had already believed, but it also really opened my eye. You know, the, the sourcing of the lie was huge, and I never I hadn't really thought about that much before. And and, and to put it in a nutshell, something that really occurred to me a more simpler way to put it than I even did in the episode occurred to me after I recorded was you have to look if you're wondering who asked who to lie. There's only one person that is in all four versions, and and that that's huge. That's a big deal. Besides the you know, the you know the analogies about the the car crash and all that stuff, like just look at you know each story. Each story, Eva's there. Eva's front and center. Eva's the one interacting with the voice in her version, in KD's version, in Youngster's version, and in Jennifer's version. If Jennifer is the one that told everybody to lie. Jennifer isn't going to go to KD and say, you know, I need you to say that you heard me talking to this fake voice. And the, and the story comes out that it was Eva and Jennifer wasn't there or that she's just randomly in and out in, in different parts of the story and that Eva doesn't have her there at all. The, the person that is, in, that is involved front and center and is a part of every single lie and is always the one who's interacting with the voice. If the voice didn't happen, it's very easy to tell that that's where the story came from. And that was a big thing that I learned. And I learned it because, you know, people were pushing back, which I fully encourage. Give me your reasons for disagreeing with me, and then let's circle back and look at them deeper. I, I really like this episode. I like the way you broke things down. I like the car crash analogy. I mean, I think it really kind of, mm-hmm. for somebody like me that we all know, I'm a bag of doorknobs, you know. <laughs> so for someone like me, Throw I Throw back it, to an old iTunes review. Yeah. I think that uh, <laughs> it really helped break it down simpler to understand uh-huh. how you are getting to this point. Right. It's not that you got to this point. It's how you got to this point. And I think that's important to understand the how. Right. Not just why or not just that we got there. You know, I think you being able to break it down to show me how we got there. It was huge for me. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. And it seems to be, I've had several people on all forms of social media saying that, you know, either I was on the fence or I was leaning towards Jen being guilty. And now I've changed my mind. Like, and now, now it's starting to make, and, and, and to be honest with you, all I see out of this is really, it doesn't have anything to do with whether Jen's involved or not. I haven't gotten there yet, but, but what I landed on is that Eva is, in my opinion, one way or another, Eva is very, and, and she is, she was involved and she's at the heart of it. She's not, you know, she, she's not involved in a way like I know what Jen did. So, hey, you guys tell a story about, you know, it, it, is that she's connected in some way or another. And, and I think the way you broke this down, it really puts Eva as a person of interest for me more so than the Cena bombshell at the end of the episode. Right. Even though that was a huge bombshell for Cena to have said that to you. Right. I still think we have to take that with a grain of salt. For sure. Being yeah. that it's 25 years old, you know, mm-hmm. and she doesn't really. But but I think the way you broke down the fake voice, I think that was huge. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that it that it that it made sense to you, and it seems like again it made sense to others. And then you know, I always I always judge the response. I'm always looking. The reason I'm on the fan page after this episode is is I'm I'm looking for the response from the people that disagree with me. Because believe it or not, even though they'll tell you that you know I don't want people there that that I disagree with, that's the biggest resource I have. Is okay now, someone tell me how I'm wrong because then then I can reevaluate. And when this game, you know, after this one, when, when, you know, a group that's, that's around that typically disagrees with me, all I get out of them is that, um, I'm unethical. I am, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm a terrible interviewer. Uh, I should never be given my opinion. I'm not objective because I give my opinion and my conclusions. It's like, they, you know, they think they're making all these points. And all I'm here is like, so can you tell me what I said that's wrong? Like not, not how I do my job, but. And like I said in the episode, if you can come at me, come to me with a logical reason why this analysis is incorrect, I want to hear it. But as I said, I think the words I said in the episode, and I stand by, is I don't have time for that bullshit for you. Like, I don't, if you don't like the show and you don't like the way I do, I literally had people like as though they were making these huge points coming on and, and saying, you should never give your analysis. You should never give your opinion. You're not objective and you're a shitty interviewer. I'm like, so you don't like the show. Yeah. I've always given my opinion since for 700 episodes. That's how it works. If you don't like the show, cool. But I need to know what you feel about the case, and I'm not getting that. So, but I have, I have not had a single person come to me and tell me they think I'm wrong. Or, or that, and especially that I think you're wrong because here's, here's reasons, things you got wrong. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. I feel like we've taken a step forward in, in clarifying things a little bit. I, I have to agree, for sure. All right, guys, let's jump into these questions. Our first couple come from Lynn. Do you think Frank and Tommy are the same guy? I do not know. And so to, to refresh everyone's memory, Tommy is the person that Eva says paged her at 7.44 a.m. Uh, when she was asked. Of course, the police never pulled the records or looked for Tommy to figure out who he was. At trial, she said that Tommy was a guy from work who pages her because he likes to bother her. Frank is from, and this is big because one 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 thing that people did push back on with me was that, that you know it, it's and there's a very good explanation for it is they said well if if that's what's happened and if Eva asked Jennifer to lie about this then surely Jennifer would know that Eva was involved why did she never tell the police and my response to that is she 100 percent did keep in mind look at look at the evolution of Jennifer's statements and the re, you know you, you look at the evolution of how statements change and when and why right so, so Jennifer sticks to the same story until she's in being interrogated and then, even then for hours she's still sticking to the same story and then Alan pushes her to the point where he says we know it's not true 
And then Jen, in his report, it says, Jen then said, okay, you're right. I'll tell you the truth. And then the next, and, and then she tells him that the night before, I, I'm paraphrasing, but the, basically the night before that Eva said her and a guy named Frank were going to rough Catalina up. And Jen, and then Jen goes on to say, that morning I went to use the phone. When I came back around the corner, I saw Eva coming out of the patio, jumping the fence. And then I saw this Frank guy jump the fence and take off. And so and she shares that with, um, with Alan. And Alan tells her, I know that's not true because youngsters said it wasn't true. So of all people that he decides to use as his reasoning for knowing that what Jen said wasn't true, it was youngster statement, which is the biggest mess out of all of them. Uh, that that the youngster said that's not true, and then of course, if you read youngster statement, he's never asked about any of that. That's not. He gives a version of events that doesn't include that, but so does everybody else. But it's important to point out. I mean, you see, like the first time in this, and you go back to listen to my true crime binge interview with Amanda Knox or with Laura Nyrider about juvenile false confessions and false confessions in general and what that's like the gaslighting that occurs. So she tells a story over and over and over and over and over again that I think most of us agree was a lie. Whether you think she's innocent or guilty, that first statement, there was lies in it. For sure, There's some, some parts are verifiable, but once she comes around that corner, everything falls apart and, and nobody believes that's what happened. So when she finally breaks and says, okay, fine, I'll tell you the truth. She Imagine for a minute that she is telling the truth. Okay, this is what really happened. It was Eva and this guy named Frank. They said they were going to rough her up because of the complaints. And then I saw Eva come over the fence and Frank follow behind her and they took off. Now that leaves, that still leaves some questions about Jen's culpability and as far as what she knew at that point, but we can talk about that later. But let's say she's telling the truth there. And then Detective Allen tells her, nope, that's not true either. And you have to think about what that does to someone psychologically, especially a 15 year old, when they say, no, that's not true. And you're like, you know, but it, that is true. That's what happened. No, it's not. And I know that it's not because Youngster said it's not, is what he writes in there. And then from there, we see her story continue to evolve in nonsensical ways, trying to, you can see her trying to fit the evidence with every version of story she gives, which is like, it's textbook. This, this is textbook. Whether or not that second story was true or not, but when someone is telling a truth and the police refuse to accept it, then that's what ends up happening is, is you know, when you're 15, your frontal cortex isn't fully developed yet. You, you have a hard time connecting long-term consequences. They get in that room. They get beaten down mentally and emotionally, and they start trying to tell the police what they want to hear in order to get out of there. But if, you, if you're saying, why didn't she ever tell, why didn't she ever snitch on Eva if, that's, if Eva's the one that told her to lie? She did at one point, and then she was told that that couldn't, be, couldn't possibly be the truth. Um, the circling back to the original question, that's just your review. That's who Frank is, is the guy that Jen says was with Eva and broke in and killed Catalina. Tommy was the guy that texted earlier. Are they the same person? I don't know. I don't know who, I, I don't even know if they're real people. You know, I don't know if Eva was telling the truth when she said it was Tommy. I don't know if Jen was telling the truth when she said it was Frank. So these are just two names that we have that are floating out there that, of course, were never looked into or verified by police. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Next, Lynn says, have you identified anyone you can talk to that knows the identity of Eva's boyfriend that Cena referred to? I know the identity. I'm not going to share it. This is So this is another thing, and I don't want other people going around and bothering people at this point. So first things first things first. What Cena said does not constitute evidence, right? It does. It's circumstantial evidence. It's something to be considered. But because Eva said that the young people around the complex all knew, as she put it, that the older girl and her boyfriend killed that woman and they blamed it on the young girl, that doesn't mean that that's actually what happened. It's definitely something to look at, and, and, and knowing what we know based on what Jennifer said, the fact that Eve is lying, there's reason to believe that that could fit with what we're looking at, but it doesn't mean that we assume that it's true, and that's why I haven't shared Eva's boyfriend's name. I won't be sharing Eva's boyfriend's name. This is this information, I, I'm, I'm at a point now where, where most of what's happening with this situation, I have passed on to Jennifer's attorneys at this point. Because I'm, we're we're at a critical point where we need to not be stepping on toes, getting involved, getting in the middle of this, and and so that information has been passed on to Jennifer's attorneys. But anyway, so yeah, is there a way to find it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Again, I know who the boyfriend is. I know his name, but that's not something that we're going to be discussing because we're not about to dread. You know, this is there's a big difference in taking, say, Eva and and looking at her and and as a witness or a suspect, as someone who was connected to the crime, the wallet's found in her room. Everybody in that apartment is is lying about the case. She has changed her story multiple times, in the way, even in the way that she has tried to help convict Jennifer. She's part of the case. So is Katie. So is Youngster. So is Jennifer. But but Eva's boyfriend is not a part of this uh, of this record in this investigation. Because the police never made him a part of it. It's not part of the open record. It's not part of a public record where someone else can go get his name. And just one woman sharing a rumor from 25 years ago doesn't constitute us blasting his name out and, and tearing him through the mud. So there is an investigation being done. I'm working on some things. And, of course, it's being turned over to the attorney, and they're the major ones that are working on it. But it's not something that we're going to be talking about unless there's something revealed through that investigation. Well, you said something to me off the air too that I'm going to bring up real quick. You said just because Cena said this doesn't mean that Eva was involved or doesn't mean that Eva is guilty. Right. And I think that's something we really have to look at moving forward or at least pay attention to moving yeah, forward. Yeah, it was like a bombshell and Shane put some music on there to make it really feel bombshelly. Mm-hmm. And it was. It was a it was a huge deal to me. I mean, that conversation, I wish now that I had just go ahead and and tried to just interview her like done a full interview or over the interview with her over the phone. When I was driving, you know, but, but so the part of, you know, of course they, you know, they say I'm a terrible interviewer, but you know, I had been to her, I'd been all over town and left cards and stuff, talked to her mom, talked to, talked to Nina. And then Cena calls me 
I'm driving down. If anybody's ever driven in Houston, I'm on the highway in Houston. Traffic's a mess. And and she's like, oh, this is Cena Sullivan. And I talked to her and and I'm like, do you first? I was like, you know, do you remember when all this happened? She's like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, and I I just started. I was like, did you know? Did you know the woman who was killed? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I didn't. I don't. I don't know that I knew her name, but she was always walking around. She was very sweet. She was just a nice lady. She would always talk to you. Very outgoing. Very sweet. Nice lady. And I, you know, I said you were in the police report because, um, because the the these boys had come out and talked to you that morning. Do you remember anything about the case? And that's when she said, she said, I her exact word. This is, I mean, this, this is the entirety of our conversation. She said, I know that girl that got convicted didn't do it. And I said, oh, and I said, oh, why do you think that? And she said, I don't think that. I know that. I know that she didn't do it. And I pulled over to the side of the, on, on the side of the road, and it was like, "How do you know she didn't do it?" That's a pretty bold statement to say that you know. And that's when she said, "Everybody in that apartment complex knew that it was the older girl and her boyfriend that killed that woman." Now, I mean, keep in mind that she doesn't know Eva, she doesn't know Jennifer, she doesn't know any of these people, but she knows that everybody, all the people in the complex were talking. She said everybody in that apartment complex knew, and of course that's hyperbole. I'm sure not everybody in the complex knew. And she said everybody in that apartment complex knew that that older woman, or older girl, and her boyfriend killed that lady, and they blamed it on the younger girl. And I wrote down, I was, I, I, I wrote down exactly what she was saying in my yellow pad that's sitting out on my desk right now when I was sitting there. And I was like, okay, I would love to discuss this further. I'm driving right now. I'm going to be getting on a plane. Can I call you back at this number later to do like a full phone interview when I'm in my office? And she's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Thank you very much. And that was it. Part of the reason for that is I don't want to have the phone interview having me saying, okay, you said earlier and you can, and can you repeat what we, you, know, you want that recorded version to be original, especially because it's something that could be used in court. So I don't want to be like, I don't want to be leading her. I don't want, so as soon as she said that, I shut it down and then it was going to be get on the phone and, and record and, and go through a full proper interview. The problem is, so I get back and I, at first I'd send her a text. And said, can we, you know, can we schedule this? And I didn't hear back from her. And then I called her on the phone. And then you know, I talked to her on the phone. She was real sweet. She's like, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, but, yeah, we can do this. She's but not right now. I have. And I could hear there was, it sounded like there was 100 people in the background. I was like, my husband's got a bunch of people over. It's not a good time. Call me. Uh, can you call me? Let, let's do Wednesday at, at noon. So I wait till Wednesday at noon. Set up the recording stuff in here. Come in. Call her Wednesday. And she was sweet. She always answered the phone. She never blew me off. But she answered the phone. She's like, "Oh my, I'm I'm in the doctor's office right now, and I'm not going to share what happened." But there was a, there was an incident, and she was at the doctor's office. I'm like, "Oh my god, will you take care of that?" And we'll talk later. And she's like, "Call me, to, call me Friday at four o'clock." And so I call her Friday at four o'clock, and, and again, she answers the phone. I'm all sitting here ready to record, and she's like, "Oh my god, I forgot about this." I'm I'm tells me the next thing that she's doing, and so this just this just keeps going on until it was time to record the episode. And then the next time I called her over the weekend, I just didn't get an answer for a couple of times. And so like, I don't, I don't want to keep pushing. I don't know if that's, you know, and I, you get that a lot. Do I really want to be recorded? You know, at first it seemed like it was all, she was all for it, but for whatever reason, she didn't answer the phone the next time I called her. And that's why I said, you know what? I'm going to put the episode out because, because I had texted her and said, and I think this is where I meant. I was like, listen, if you don't want to do the recorded interview, just fine. Just let me know. I still have your quote from. You know, when we spoke earlier, if you don't want to do a recorded interview and then I called back the next day, she didn't answer. And that's just like, I'll just put it out there. And then and then I've now I have turned her number 
and everything over to the attorneys to to continue working on it further. Nexlin says, where do you think Jen was coming from when first seen by Cena and Nina? This was minutes after Red Rock and Housen were at the door because they were behind their mother, and she arrived after Eva went to the office. Or am I still confused regarding some of this timing? I think, well, I mean, it's, I think it's hard to put together the exact timing of it. I don't know that, I think Youngster put Red Rock and Housen with Ruby Sullivan, but I don't think that, I have to look at their, I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think Red Rock and Housen were still there when Ruby was there. Because they, after they departed from their interaction with Jen, they went to the other side of the complex, and they said when they came back that the the police were already there, uh, or the police ambulance were already there when they got back a little while later. Where, as far as where Jen's, Jen came from, I don't know. They said they saw her come from walking around the building afterwards. So it seems to me, this is the order of events seems to me. Here's another thing I didn't drive home in the episode that I think is really important. I know I keep getting off these questions, but I'm just remembering things as I'm going. Is for anybody that thinks, okay, that Eva did not make up this story and Eva is, or, or that Eva's just, there's not some suspicion around her that she's not involved in this. So look at her. Besides the fact that, you know, this, what, you know, the fake voice wasn't part of the narrative. You, you, like, you're just not going to convince me it happened. Like, she, she didn't go tell everybody. And then, and then Katie and Youngster and Jennifer don't, don't mention anything about a voice. Start mentioning it later because it really happened. It didn't happen. But so Eva says that she ran to get help. Because she's concerned about Catalina. So she runs to the office. Come on, we got a call. She, you know, the first time she's just, I think she's hurt. She's screaming. And, and they come running back. When they run back, where does Eva go? Uh, put yourself in this situation and think about it for a minute. When they get back to the apartment, so it's just her and Pam Wiley, back to the apartment to check on Eva or to check on Catalina, Eva doesn't stand outside the door with her. She doesn't look inside. She doesn't, she doesn't help her to get in. Eva goes straight up into inside her apartment with Katie and Youngster. I mean, do we know that for sure? We don't. We know that she didn't. You could go piece stand to, there. You could piece together all the statements from what like Pam Wiley says. So she's there, and then like who was around when Keith Truesdale gets there? You know, the, the Eva's then outside. You know, there's there's all these different timings. Then you have Nina and Cena, who are there. Nina, Cena, and Ruby are all outside as the ambulance is approaching. And they all see Katie and Youngster come out of the apartment, and then they see Eva come out after her, or after them, right? So Eva, Katie, and Youngster, some it might not have been immediate, but sometime within those first couple of seconds, minutes, when they get back to the scene, before the ambulance has arrived, Eva is upstairs with Katie and Youngster, instead of downstairs checking to say, see if she's okay. Okay. And you can do that with what you want, but I think that it's, it's something that, that, that certainly caught my attention. So when it, when it comes to the timing, as far as so it was also Nina, Cena, and Ruby that saw Jen walking around the corner. So it seems like, and when Pam gets back, Jen's there. So it seems like that Pam and Eva come back into the area. They start looking around. Jen's around there for a little while, and then Jen walks away. I guess at some point there, and then Eva goes upstairs with Katie and Youngster. Katie and Youngster leave. Then Eva leaves. Then Jennifer comes walking back and then goes up and sits on the stairs with Eva. But that's, again, that's piecing together all these witness statements. And and there could be gaps or holes in that, too. It's hard to really track exactly where everybody was at. But I don't know where she went. Doesn't sound like she was gone for very long if if she walked away. The only thing I can think of is they don't really say which way she came from. And remember in Jen's statement, you know, in every version, she jumps the fence at some point to check on what's going on. 
one time it's before Keith gets there, the other time it's after Keith was he was in there. So if she had, it could be that if she had jumped the, the patio fence because of the angle where um, Cena and Nina were, you know, looking at it from like the parking lot in. If Jen had jumped the patio fence, looked inside, and then jumped back over the patio and came walking out from their angle, it would they would just see her walking towards the scene, even though she was there the whole time because she had where she said that she jumped the fence was up against the building, which would be behind the stairwell. And then would walk around. So the, it, it could have been where they saw her coming from was from jumping back over the fence. That would explain it better than her just walking off around the corner and coming back. Yeah, for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it seems. Unlikely. I've heard people throw theories out there that, oh, that's when she was hiding the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. Which is a theory that, I mean, it could make sense. But right. it makes her a lot more involved than just being a lookout if that is the case. Also, yeah. Also, why wouldn't she be hiding the murder weapon while Eva was gone and there was nobody there? Why wait till they get back and then go hide them? Well, and how did she end up with the murder weapon if she's not the one that did it? Right, yeah. So there's a lot of holes in that, but it it is a theory. Aaron says, I keep thinking about Jen trying to call the telephone company for Eva. Do you think this could have been something Eva asked Jen to do that morning to get her out of the apartment? And the page from Craig could have been a coincidence. And possibly the page from Craig had her leaving the apartment earlier than she ordinarily would have and returning at a time when the crime may still have been going on. I don't think, I mean, we have no way of knowing, but I don't think so. Nobody has said that Eva asked her to call the phone company. Jen didn't say she has to call the phone company. Craig did page her. So I, that would just be sheer speculation, I guess. Aaron follows up with one more question. Do you have any other interviews lined up with Cena or her family? No, I don't. Like I said, I was still working. After I aired the episode or or, or put the episode together, I decided rather than to continue working on getting an interview for me to send that information over to, and I'd already been in, in talk. I'd already talked to Jen's attorney about what she had said. And the, and the plan was when I did my interview that I would give him the recording and then give him the contact since I already had the contact with her. But since I ended up not doing the interview, I just passed the information on to him and then he'll take it from there. Sarah has a couple questions. Do we know where Eva is currently? Yes. And again, leave Eva alone. Okay. That the, the, you know, these are things that, any any further contact with her should be through through attorneys, not through podcast listeners. So, you know, please don't bother anyone. As I always tell you, definitely leave, you know, leave her alone. Yes, I know where she is. And let's just leave it at that. Next, she wants to know if she has a criminal history. Uh, no. I mean, other than the, than the public lewdness, sex in public charge that she had before the crime, she's not had any criminal history since then. Where was Jen's apartment in relation to Eva's and Janet's? Right in the middle. So uh, Eva's apartment was kind of in the middle of the complex as far as north to south. And Janet's was all the way at the front. And the Jeffley's apartment was all the way at the back. So opposite directions from Eva's apartment. Her last question. I'm wondering if Eva didn't realize Youngster and KD were still in her apartment that morning. She thought she had time to slip out and back in before Jen made it back from making her call. What do you think? No, I don't know, but I don't, I don't honestly, I think that if Eva was involved, I don't think that Jen or Katie or Youngster were, I, I, I do think that it's likely she didn't know Katie and Youngster were still there, but I also don't think that she thought there was a time when Jen was coming. You know, J- J- imagine she's, she's, a, if her story is true, if Jen and Eva's story about that part of the morning is true. Eva's a sound asleep and Jen's just like, Hey, I'm going to make a phone call and leaves. Like, I, I don't think there was this plan where it was like, okay, the clock's ticking. It's going to take her 19 minutes to make her phone call. You know, I, for all she knew, she wasn't coming back. I think 
Amy says, do we know who the first person was that said Eva slept on the couch and gave the other three her room and when it was said? It's mixed into all their statements. And it's, it is, and it's not really like that. I think Eva it might have been at one of her statements, like a trial where she said, like, I, I gave her the bedroom, I, I think. But, but essentially, you just have a, 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 all the different statements saying, you know, we were sleeping back there. Eva was on the couch. You know, KD is like, we were there. I guess Eva was in the living room. Eva's like, I was on the couch. They were in the bedroom. So all of them and all their versions just kind of lay out that was the sleeping arrangement. But it's, 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 it's consistent through all of them. But they're, you know, but they're all, um, it's all stated in different ways. There's, you know, it's not like the voice where everybody's like, yes, then she went out and said this. It's not like that. It's just part of the narrative is that's where they, that's where Eva was. And that's where the other three of them were. Betsy says, is it possible that the page Eva got was from her boyfriend and the guy from work who liked to bother her was another lie that she never had to prove because no one ever actually followed up on it. Anything's possible in the second half of that is the is the important part and the frustrating part is we're we're left answering these questions because the police didn't follow up on it. You know, they you know, we don't we don't know. I mean, we, I can sit here and say, yeah, I think maybe maybe Tommy was the boyfriend and maybe Tommy wasn't the real name. And maybe for, but the, the, the reality of it is there's, we don't know who paid her that morning. All we have is her at trial saying it was a guy named Tommy with no last name, who's a client from work, who has her pager number but pages her because he likes to bother her. Jeslin says, if, as Cena says, everyone in the complex knew it was the older girl and her boyfriend, wouldn't Jen's family have heard this as well? Well, again, as I said before, that's hyperbole. Not everybody in the complex knew, and I think it has to do with who you're hanging out with. The impression I got was that and the reason I reached out to Nina and Cena is because they were part of a younger crowd. They knew KD. They knew Youngster. And so if KD and Youngster were talking about, this is the whole reason I reached out to them, right? So my theory is KD and Youngster probably know what actually happened. KD and Youngster hang around that complex. They hang around with a group of friends. We see that in the, um, the, the night of the murder when Detective Allen and Detective Swainson are with Jennifer looking for them. And they, they see, they say they see this large group of black males. Jennifer says KD and Youngster are in that group and then they take off and leave. So my thought is, so, if they were going to, if anybody's going to talk, because I don't think Katie and Youngster were involved, but I think they know what happened. And so, and so usually that's the kind of path of least resistance I'm looking for. They're the ones that would be most likely to talk, plus given their age. And so since they have teenage friends around there, they share some of the same friends as Nina and Cena. I thought, you know, maybe, maybe got a, maybe word got around. As it turns out, it did. That, according to Cena, that the word did get around. Everybody knew. When she says everybody knew, I think she means that group. As far as Jen and her, um, Jen's family, um, doesn't sound like uh, Kim had wasn't friends with that circle. That's why she wasn't at Eva's. She had never been to Eva's. She didn't know Katie or Youngster because she just she didn't hang out with that crowd. She was a little bit older than Jen and seemed to be like she was going back to you know when the murder happened. She was going back to school again. She had moved back home. So if they, I think if they didn't have any connection to that younger group then they wouldn't know also if that is true if the rumor is true if it's true that that's what what all the, what all the people were saying and it's true that's what actually happened you know the one group that you wouldn't want to share that with would be the family of the daughter that just got blamed one thing you just said that struck me is you said Katie and youngster knew or you you believe they know do you think they actually know or do you think they just put pieces together to kind of figure it out I don't, if they knew. I, I don't think I don't think that they have to necessarily know exactly what happened. 
But I think that anyone, and that again, I said it's something we'll have to discuss later, but you know, it, it brings into question what did Jen know? Because if if they all know, which I, I, I maintain that I believe that they did, they all knew that Eva was lying and that Eva told them to lie for her, I think then they know obviously Eva had some involvement in what happened. Uh, maybe not the exact details, but I think they have to know. Now, that's not, that's not, that doesn't have to be true. What Jen said in the, you know, for what, what it's worth in the Crime Watch Daily episode is that, you know, she lied for Eva because Eva told her that we're going to be in danger. We'll, we'll be in danger if we don't. And so the, you know, which kind of gave the impression that Eva knows who did it. They're dangerous people. So we better. You know, we, we better we better make up this lie, otherwise they're going to hurt us. So that's possible that they believe that, um, but I think that's pretty naive to think that that they wouldn't know that Eva had some some involvement in the murder if she's the one asking them to lie. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Leanne says, I'm curious if you think it was an intentional murder or do you think things could have escalated if Eva and her boyfriend were involved? Also, why do you think the wallet was left when she moved out of the apartment? To the first point, yeah, I think it was intentional. I think there's there's no evidence, there's no medical evidence, there's no evidence on the crime scene to indicate that there was any effort made whatsoever to restrain her. Right. And so so the, so that's what you would be that's what I would be looking for. If we were looking to see if this was something that escalated, like if the plan was just to maybe rough her up a little bit or hold her down while we take the keys, you don't see that. You don't see bruising on her arms from being held down or marks on your know, ligature marks or, you know, bruising. You don't see any of the classic wound patterns you would see if someone was just trying to be restrained and then it got out of hand. It looks like my opinion was the, was the same as what, what Jim Clemente told us. That it looks like it was a blitz attack. Like they went in, bam, incapacitated her with the with the pot over the head or the ceramic thing over the head. And then you got to look at, well, okay, now she's down. Certainly she's incapacitated. You can get what you came for and leave. But then you but then you take out your knife and then stab her multiple times. You know, e- even after you've already struck fatal blows, continue to stab her. It looks to me like it was 100, like the intention. Now, that doesn't mean all parties involved knew that was the intention. You know, I have, I have theories in my mind where there's two people going in. One thinks that it's going to be to, quote, rough her up, and the other one's got a different idea, and they just go right after it and just, and just kill her. But no, I think that the person that actually killed her 100% intended to go in and kill her. As far as the wallet goes, I know a lot of people, that was a discussion I had with a listener in Cleveland was asking, like, like, like why would the wallet be left there? I don't know. To be forgotten, there was no, you know, I think I think it seems pretty clear there likely was no money in that wallet based on the fact that she didn't carry cash usually. So the, and that's part of you know, what Jim says. She, he thinks the wallet was taken as a part of staging to make it look like a robbery. I think the wallet was thrown into the area behind the fridge in a panic 
look at this. From from what I understand, the apartment layout of Catalina's apartment was identical to the layout of Eva's apartment, directly above the exact same footprint. And so remember that the wallet is found. Go back and look at the crime scene photos. The wallet is found behind the fridge. Um, but it looks, but the only way to get back there is that it would be stuffed in from the side of the fridge. So like you reach in from the side and stuff it in. Well, there's an open counter and I'll have to go back there and review this too. But as I'm, as I'm thinking out loud, as we're moving through here, so there's like a, like a bar type area in the counter where you could reach through the refrigerator. When you come in the front door is there's, there's a, there's a little closet in front of you and the refrigerator is on the other side of that. And I'd be curious to see if someone coming in the front door could just step around that that closet, reach over the counter, and throw the wallet back there real fast. Because if that's the case, then I think it's something that just happened really fast. Came in with it. You hear somebody in the in the bedroom stirring, right? You hear them saying, "What's going on, Pharrell?" As they said before they open the door, you're like, "Oh shit!" And you just reach over the counter and throw it back behind the fridge from the side. I think that's possible from that angle, but I'll, I'll have to t- take another look and, and verify that. But I think that when, you know, there's no value in the wallet. Eva, you, so you have two things. You have, you got Jennifer who left the, you know, who got arrested the next day and never came back. And then Eva took off and never came back. Had left half her furniture and everything there. Um, the police had already searched the place. So I don't think they were worried about them finding the wallet there. So I, I don't know. And plus, you know, if it was Eva involved, Jennifer had already been arrested for it. So you probably think, oh, if they find it, they'll just think it was Jennifer. But as far as in, in the conversation I had with the listener in Cleveland was, um, you know, well, Jennifer didn't have the opportunity. But I just, but the thing is, they every, both of them had an opportunity to move. So Jennifer, after she goes to the police station and gives her first statement on the day of the murder, she comes back to the complex and she goes to Eva's. She's up there. So Eva's there. She's there. Either one of them could have gotten rid of that wallet, and and neither of the, neither of them do. So I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. Dallas says, now that Cena has shared this, would it make sense to offer a reward around Houston for information? Others have to know something. I think that there will come a time that 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 we we certainly should do that. I think we need to push a little further and make sure we have a clearer idea of you know what we think happened and. Where would be the good places and, and try to find some other names to interview before we do the, you know, a reward is always kind of a last resort. I think it's a good thing, but I certainly would rather find a witness who can give us some clarity on something without a reward. I would much rather have that than somebody come forward and say something and get money for it because then it's always going to be questioned, right? Like, is that, was that what really happened or were they just looking for the money? Especially on a 25-year-old case. Right. I think it's really hard to come forward with good information that long ago. You know what I mean? That's a big sure. thing with like what Cena said. Is Even though it's it's good that she came forward and said that, and we now can you know think of that, you still have to kind of take it for what it is. I think what I'm hoping happens with the lawyers is they, that, that like if it were me doing the full investigation, I'm always at this point, right? It's always like, do I go? Do they go? Like, what should I keep doing what I'm doing? Let them take the uh, take the ball from here. But like to me, like Eva is the breadcrumb we are. Cena is the breadcrumb we've been looking for. You know what I mean? So like, boom. Okay, she heard a rumor that said that someone who's uninvolved in the case, but she heard that it says that's what people were saying. From there, let's start working on you know be able to sit down with her and finally you know get some names and some other people 
and start working our way out to interviewing other people till we can find the source of some of this information. You know, there's, there's hope. I, I would much rather go that route than, than come out with a reward right now. Christian says, since this seems to be nothing more than a 25-year-old rumor, will you keep an open mind that the, quote, older girl and her boyfriend could be someone other than Eva and her boyfriend? I'm definitely going to keep an open mind about what happened as far as, so I, I'll, you know, I'll keep an open mind whether the rumor is true or not. As far as who it's referring to, yes, I'll keep an open mind and meaning if someone can, can present me with a better option, I guess. But this was another discussion that, that there, that happened on the fan page where they were, people were suggesting, well, maybe she meant this person. Maybe it was, maybe it was Jennifer's sister or maybe it was, maybe that's the older, but it's a very specific set of circuit. What she said was the older woman or the older girl and her boyfriend killed her and blamed the younger girl. And so they got away with it. What older girl in that complex blamed Jennifer? How many are there? There's precisely one. You can, you can say there were other older girls. There were other people. There were older girls with boyfriends, but there's only one that spoke to the police and blamed Jennifer. 100%. There's only one, and that was Eva. Now, you can say the rumor isn't true, and or you could say either the rumor isn't true, she never heard that, or she heard it, but the rumor just wasn't true. It just got, you know, it was a game of telephone, whatever you want to say. But if we're taking what she said, no, I don't think she's referring to anyone else other than Eva. All right, Bob, our last question is kind of touching on what you just said. We're going back to Lynn, who had a couple questions earlier. What immediate next steps can help progress this investigation? Well, as I said earlier, we're kind of at a point where some of this stuff needs to be turned over to the lawyers, and, and I've been in contact with, with Jennifer's attorney. Before I do anything else with like the Cena situation, I'll make sure I, I'm, I'm in touch with him. If they're not going to follow that lead, then it's a lead that I will certainly follow. I'll probably make another trip back to Houston for that. Other than that, I'm working at really trying to get clarity on some you – know, I think this week – I haven't even started writing this week's episode yet. I think I'm going to circle back. I want to learn a little bit more about the wallet. Some listeners suggested we do a deep dive into that too. And and as I started to, it is a little more confusing than we originally thought it was. So maybe we can find some clarity there. But we're going to be kind of buttoning up some loose some loose ends. But I'm but I'm going to be very frank with you guys. I feel like there's a lot more progress we could make in this case. But I don't think there's much more progress we can make if we don't have access to Jennifer. And so we are, um, as I think most of you know, we have, I've had a, a great team of volunteer researchers that have been looking for, for new cases. I don't know what they're working on. I know they're doing a ton of great work, and I've got a meeting with them next week to see which ones that they, they want to pitch to me. I would love to continue forward with Jen's case. I think that we can solve this case. I really do. But I don't think we can do it without access to Jennifer. I need to be able to speak with her. She needs to be able to fill in some of these gaps. And if we're not going to get be given access to her, if her attorney is not going to let her speak to us, then then to be very frank with you, we are not far away from from wrapping up this season. We'll have to, you know, I want to tie up as many loose ends as we can. Um, but again, to be very frank, if if she's not here to help and give her version of the story, at some point we've got to pull the plug and move on to somebody who wants the help and wants to be able to and not that Jen doesn't want to participate, but her lawyer doesn't want her to then, you know, I just, we're not, we're not just going to keep beating our head against the wall. Like we're at that point where without access to her, there's not much more we can do. So we'll see where things go from here. But yeah, I mean, you, you probably at this point expect that within, I would say probably within a month, we'll be moving on to another case, presuming that the, uh, the research team 
have uh, have come up with a good one to move on to next. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team. Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice.